We're in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. We're going to read to verse 11, and this will draw this uh, series of passages on the temptation of Jesus to a conclusion today. Let's, uh, let's, let's read in, in Matthew 4, 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, all these I will give you. If you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word, considering the fact that there are so many who cannot. Whether they are blinded by ignorance to the fact that your word exists or whether uh, your word is not translated into their language or, or there are no people among them saying, this is the way of God, this is the will of God, this is the teaching of God's word. There are, there are many. We think of the Halebi people, 316,000. That's four times the number of people who live in the, the greater area of our city, if you consult certain statistics. That's a, that's a vast number of people when you consider how many people you see as you go in and out of a store. There are many, many, Lord, among this group. We pray that, that you would enable us as we give and support different ministry and missions efforts to be part of reaching these people and that they would hear the gospel. We pray, Father, too, for ourselves that as we consider the gospel, as we consider the work of Jesus, and as we leave our study in Matthew over the next few weeks to, to consider um, the Christmas season, that as we sum up today, that, that we would see Jesus and his way in a light that encourages and sustains and strengthens us. May we who, who live in the light of the gospel not become blinded to it because it is so readily available to us. And Father, as we turn to the word, we, we pray knowing that we have a crafty enemy who despises us and who despises your will and who desires to, to steal faith from us, who desires to, to rob us of the benefit of the word, we pray that we would not be passive as we hear, but that we would actively listen, and that, that we would 
Take the teaching of your word and take it to heart. Consider it and live by it. Father, we pray your blessing on our time in your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, a number of years ago, I had, uh, I had scheduled with, um, with a friend that um, we, I was, I was going to go to a funeral. Uh, it, was, it was north of here. We were going to go together. And so I, I had said to this friend, hey, I'll come up early in the morning and uh, we'll go to lunch. And when, when we're done with lunch, we'll, we'll go to the memorial service and, and then, you know, we'll, we'll part ways. And that'll just give us a time to, uh, to meet up and, and to connect. And so um, I called him and I said, hey, I'll be to your place in just about 20 minutes and we'll go to lunch. And he said, okay, great. And uh, he said, so see you in a bit. I said, yep. I said, I am, I am barreling north on Route 13, and I'll, I'll be there just in 20 minutes. And he said, no, you won't. And I'm like, no, I timed this out. I will, I will be there in 20 minutes. And he's like, no, you won't. We should probably just cancel lunch and, and meet over there at the funeral. And I said, why? And he said, because you need to be on Route 50. <laughs> and you're heading north on Route 13, and you're not going to get here. That road doesn't come to where you want to go. Um, we want to get to a place. You, 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 you know that because um, you're, you're sitting in church. Now, either you're, you're uh, younger and your mom and dad brought you here or somebody brought you here and you want to get in front of the TV or the Xbox. And so you're, you're thinking, what is the road that gets me to that place? Or you got up this morning and you shaved and showered or uh, whatever, and you got here because you want to be pleasing to the Lord. You want your road to lead you somewhere, but you need to ask yourself the question when you consider walking a road, following Christ, believing in the gospel, does the road that you're on take you to where you want to go? Because if you're on the wrong road, you're not going to wind up at your destination no matter how good your intentions are. I was earnestly, honestly, proactively planned out and heading north at the right time to arrive with plenty of margin for lunch. But I got on the wrong road, following the wrong directions. And you're never going to wind up where you want to go when you're heading the wrong way. We're considering the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus has been tempted twice, and we're moving on to the, the third temptation. The first temptation was to lay hold of the resources necessary to feed himself because the devil was inciting him and saying, your father is not taking care of you, but he remained reliant on God's will and survived the first temptation. The second temptation is to cast himself down from the, the top of the temple and to make himself a spectacle to the people and that, that the angels would have rushed to his aid and there would have been this dramatic, impressive unveiling of Jesus as Messiah. That was the second temptation, but Jesus resists that by saying, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now as we enter into the third temptation, it seems to me like, like, like things are speeding up and getting more intense. The temptations are, are growing in terms of the, the importance or the wideness of the audience or the appeal of, of what's going on. And, and so there's this scene change. I imagine if this were happening in a movie, you know, perhaps the, the camera would speed away and there'd 
would be, it would be blurry, but we would know somehow that, that, that Satan was, was transporting Jesus to this place to, to tempt him. Now, now, I said this last week. It says the devil took him. Uh, I believe this is a, a vision kind of transport. We see this in some of the prophetic books. I don't believe there's a, a place or a mountain on the earth where you can see all of the kingdoms in all their glory. That's not saying Jesus was not presented with some kind of, of, of vision, but, but he is moved, transported by Satan. So, so we've got this intensity of action going on. Um, and it says that the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Right? Imagine that he is now removed and isolated far from his homeland. We're no longer in the desert starving with stones all around that could become bread. We're no longer um, on top of the temple in Jerusalem where Jesus could unveil, him, unveil himself as their national Messiah. Now we are in this isolated place and the devil is going to show him all of the kingdoms of the world um, and, and present them to him. The assault that comes on Jesus begins with this vision with this consideration of all of the nations, all of the different ethnic groups of the world, all of the power and all of the glory that exists in the world. Imagine this tour that the devil took him on, the treasuries of, of different nations. This is in, in, in a time long before Encyclopedia Britannica or Wikipedia. There were still tremendous mysteries in the world and, and nations and empires unheard of. And so, so Jesus is, is being shown these things that are out there that could be possessed. Vast forests filled with, with animals and with um, uh, uh, you know, things which, which belonged to kings. Imagine the walls of great and mighty cities, the armies marching on them, the palaces, the queens and princesses and concubines and courtesans, the, the rich food of every kind, the wine and strong drink and, and all the, the diverse kinds of, of fruits and vegetables and dishes and things which would be served up to to. Uh, the rulers, the claim or the, the acclaim and the adoration of crowds as, as Caesar or as a, as a king walks out onto a platform and the people go wild with praise. Jesus was, was seeing this from nation to nation. Every kind of crown, every kind of rich robe and regal garment. He might have seen the power of the Egyptians and the, and the great pyramids. He might have seen the hanging gardens of, of Babylon, the statue of Zeus at Olympia, and imagined that it was transformed into his image. The temple of Artemis at Ephesus, seeing the, the people whipped into a frenzy of worship. The, the mausoleum at Halicarnassus, the Colossus of Rhodes. The lighthouse of Alexandria, these are the seven wonders of the ancient world. The great library of Alexandria devoted to learning. And he would have seen the armies and the power and the victories of these nations. Satan says, I will give you all of this. I'll give it all to you. He tried to, to tempt him to 
to break with his father's will and to feed himself. And he said no. And he tried to get him to to leap from the temple and to unveil himself as the Messiah and to put the Lord to the test, to get the Lord to to jump in and to to rescue him. And Jesus said, no, I'm not going to do that. And now he pulls out all the stops. He breaks, uh, or he he brings all of his resources to bear. And he uh, unveils the the greatest uh, attack that he's given or that he's, that he's brought to Jesus yet. It is as if he's saying, there is no escape. Don't make me destroy you. You do not realize your importance. You've only begun to discover what you could have. Join with me and I will show you the way it is to be done. If we combine our forces... We can end this conflict with the Father, and together we can bring order to the universe. Imagine, he's, he's saying, all you need to do is to bow down and worship me and say that I am greater than your Father, and I will give it all to you. You can be independent from the Father. That would be the greatest power. Join with me. Worship me. It's the only way. Follow me. There is a temptation here to lay hold of power, uh, and specifically independent power. Listen to what John Calvin says about this temptation. He says, we have to contend every day with this same temptation. For every believer feels it in himself, and it is still more clearly seen in the lifestyle of the ungodly. Though we are convinced as believers that all our support and aid and comfort depend on the blessing of God, yet our senses allure and draw us away to seek assistance from Satan, from the world, as if God alone were not enough. A considerable portion of mankind disbelieve the power and authority of God over the world and imagine that every good thing is bestowed by Satan. Think about what he's saying there and ask yourself if you have ever thought this. That if I were not a Christian, if I were not seeking to be obedient to God's commandments, then I would have access to other ways of doing Things and accomplishing things and gaining power and security and prominence and a reputation and a name. If I could just unhook myself from my allegiance to God, then, then I could make a way for myself. Calvin is pointing out that this would be an alliance with Satan. That's saying that yes, yes, in our minds we believe that that all good things, all the rules come from the Lord and and that and that his way is to be followed because that's the truth. We believe that up here, but but in our hearts and in our senses we think, oh, it would just be so easy to go this way. Life would be easier, there'd be there'd be more power. Calvin says this true indeed, with the mouth they ask that God will give them daily bread but it is only with the mouth. For they make Satan the distributor of all the riches in the world. We think God's holding out on me. 
And if you weren't interfering, restraining, obligating me to behave in a certain way, then, then, then I could have more. The temptation here is to think that God is holding out on me. I just need a little more power, and then my life will be the way I want it. I just need a little more control. I need, I need a little more uh, leverage. I, just, I need to know the right place to put the tool to turn the world to my will. That's the temptation. Satan is telling Jesus, you have wasted your life serving this poor, pathetic, distant father who doesn't care for you and is not giving you what you really need. And then he says, I am the one with the real power. Did Satan have the ability to give the kingdoms of the world to Jesus? Uh, some commentators say no. I think that's the natural impulse. Um, but let me, let me just let me, let me say this. One, the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all manner like us, yet without sin. This was a real temptation. Jesus truly felt tempted. And if you're asking the question over the last couple of weeks, is it, a, is it a sin to feel temptation? The answer is no. But it's, 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 a, it's a sin to go on a car ride with temptation. Does that make sense? You know, temptation pulls up like a taxi and says, hey, come with me. And we're like, cool, I'll get in. That's the problem, right? It's not, you know, feeling the temptation, seeing the temptation and saying, that would be wrong if I did that. But, you know, that's, that's, that's something that is part of the human experience, and you ought not beat yourself up for being tempted. You ought to beat yourself up when you, when you get, or rather, you ought to get yourself some, some accountability structures and some brothers and sisters around you. Brothers, get some brothers. Sisters, get some sisters. And, 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 and figure out, when temptation comes, what do I need to do to protect myself? This is a real temptation. Listen, listen to the condition of the world as described by Paul. He says in Ephesians 2.1, you, speaking to the Ephesians who, who were believers but were once lost, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan right there. The spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Was Satan the ruler of the world? I think that's the way the Bible describes him. Listen to what Jesus says in John 13.30. I will no longer talk much with you. He's summing up. He's just got, he's got, uh, he's going to pray in chapter 17, and then he is betrayed at the end of that and taken. So that's what he's saying. I'm, I'm summing up my teaching. I'll no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of the world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Satan was coming, and Jesus would be put into his power. Though he would not be under his power, he would be taken and put to death, according to Satan's plan at the hands of wicked men. He rules the world. Bible teaches. So I wonder. People say, no, he's lying. But yet there would have been a very real temptation here for Jesus. Could he have it all? Could Jesus have everything? Could he, could he detach from the Father and make 
the world work his own way. That is the, I believe, the longing that we feel when we struggle with the temptation to believe that, that God is not for us, but he is in fact against us because it would be so easy for him just to use his infinite power to support us in this difficult situation. How long we pray until you act and deliver me, until you change my circumstances, until you fix this problem, how long must I depend when we pray that way? If we don't, if we don't move along the, uh, the, the, the line of the argument and, and, and work through our frustrations and say, but I trust in you because we're good. If we stay right there, what we're saying is you are holding out on me. You need to do something or I need to do it myself. The temptation to feel, to lay hold of power. But let's just think about this for a second. Could Jesus really have it all if he succumbs to this temptation? Listen to what Jesus says in John 8, verse 42. And I, I know that he knew this from, from understanding and, and reading and being taught the scriptures in synagogue and, and at Joseph and, and Mary's teaching. I know that he would have formed some of these beliefs, but I wonder if some of this was forged in the midst of temptation. This is John chapter 8, verse 42. Jesus says to the Pharisees who are confronting him, he says, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? He's teaching, they're not understanding him, and he's saying, if you were, if you were God's family, you would rejoice at my teaching. I came from God. Then he says this, this is why they can't understand. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. Now here he's going to throw it down and just teach purely and, and um, with, with great precision about who the devil is. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The temptation is real. Satan is saying, I will give you power. I will give you everything. Just fall down and worship me, and I will hand it over. And building, I believe in Jesus, in the midst of this temptation is the reality of what God's word teaches. And he says, you lied, you deceived, and you murdered the whole human race. They are all dead because of you, and I am here to save them. You started every lie, everything you say has that horrible, day-old, awful campfire stale smell because it comes from where you live, and that's hell. You're lying. Can we know if Jesus could have had everything? I don't, I don't know that we can. I, I don't know that we can. But we know that we cannot trust the words of the devil. Jesus said then to him, here comes his reply. He says, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. He says, go away, leave, done with you done with temptation. Let me tell you what, brothers and sisters, you might not be able, you think, to say, I am done with temptation. 
But, but you might be putting yourself in a position where you resemble somebody who visited me in my office a couple of years ago. And the guy says to me, comes in and he says, you know, he wanted to meet up. And so we met and he says, I have a devil problem. And I'm like, hey, guess what? We all do. If you live between Genesis chapter 3 and the coming of Jesus, we all have a devil problem. But he's like, no, 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 my devil problem is different than other people's problems. He's like, the devil is, is on me, you know, like monkey on my back kind of, of, of devil problem. Like he, he assaults me, he harasses me, he's, he's always with me, he's always tempting me, and he is too strong, and I cannot get rid of him. And I said, you don't have a devil problem. You have a believe in God and God's word problem. What are you talking about? James 4, 7 says this. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Yeah, but here's the problem, Pastor Keith. When I resist the devil, he does not flee from me. And I said, then either you have not resisted the devil or you don't believe God's word. Because it says here, resist the devil and he will. He will. This is God's word. This, this is not something that somebody typed up in a factory somewhere and put in a fortune cookie. You know? This is not uh, just some encouraging platitude. You know, this is not uh, thoughts and prayers sent to you in a time of crisis. This is God's word defining how reality works. If you submit yourself to God and resist the devil, he will flee. The devil is like that bully who has beat up on so many people. Now everyone's terrified from him, And if somebody would just stand up to him and punch him in the face, kids don't ever do that because it will be bad. But, but we all know the way the world should work, right? You know, If somebody would just punch this bully in the face, he would cry like a baby and run away. And it would be done. He would never pick on you again, right? Christmas story, Scott Farkas, yes. He had yellow eyes, you know. Resist the devil and he will flee. And Jesus does just this. You will worship the Lord your God only in him you will serve. He submits himself to God and he says, go away. Listen to what Peter says about the devil and think about what's, what's happening in this passage. It's, the passage is going to say that angels came and were ministering to him. Peter says this, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. How will I pay my bills? How, how will I deal with this health crisis? How will I handle this crisis at work that I'm encountering? How am I going to raise godly kids in such a horrible culture? All the things that we worry about, you know, like, oh, and, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm finally catching up and now I've got to pay for this car repair. And, and how am I going to get everything done that I need to do? And cast that anxiety on him. It's as if God's mighty hands are there and our, our minds are being heaped up with all these things that we're frustrated about and worried about. And, and he's just like, I'm here. I'm here. Give it to me. And we're just like, here, take this, take this, take this, take this, take this. Right? You might, you might think God's like, stop bothering me with all this stuff. No, the Bible says, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. It's like, it's like is that too much, Jesus? No. Is that too much, Father? No. Keep, keep coming. More, more, more. Cast them all. Because he cares for you. Why? 
Look at verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's like, there's an anxious person that won't cast his anxieties on the Lord. I'm going to attack that person. Go after him. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I think that's exactly what happens in this passage. The anxieties, the the stresses of life, the, the cares and worries, the temptations. Jesus was tempted like us in every sense, yet not sinful. He feels the same desires. How will I eat? Oh, I could just turn this stone into bread. How will the ministry go? How will I unveil myself as the Messiah? And will, how will I be received? And, and, and will my father, will, are we doing the right thing? Recall that, that in the garden he will pray, if there is another way, He was waiting, perhaps, for the orders to be changed. And the devil's attacking him at all these points. But he resists him firm in your faith by unveiling God's word. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him you will serve. I'm not sure who said it, but I love this quote. Instead of listening to Satan, we should speak to him, reiterating what God has said. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Yeah, 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 you're going to give me everything. Right. No. Worship the Lord only. Him I will serve. Go away. I am done. My wife messaged me uh, from the Annapolis Mall uh, about two weeks ago, and she's like, guy wants to sell me $300 hair dryer for, what, $180. And I just, you know, she's telling me what brand it is. I look it up on Amazon. There's no hair dryer on Amazon that's more than $89. And I was like, tell him no. And she said, my husband said no. Bye. And off she went. She texted me a second later. He's gone. You know, it's just like, it's, I love that. Go away, sales guy. No. Instead of listening to Satan, and if you're in sales, don't take that the wrong way. If, instead, of, instead of listening to Satan, we should speak to him, reiterating what God has said. Deuteronomy 6.13, Jesus uh, in synagogue would have heard these words and he would have considered the, the people of Israel wandering in the wilderness like they, they're, they're like the three stooges, right? You know, it's like how many ways can you go wrong? Can't you see that you're the privileged chosen people of God? How can you keep failing in the light of all the good things that he's doing for you? But then if we take a step out and we look at our own lives, we say, well, that's, that's me. And he, he brings this verse up from his memory. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve. And by his name you shall swear. Be gone, Satan. And then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. What we have at, at the end of verse 11, we, we've been presented with this, this um, platform of ideas about Jesus, that he is 
the legal heir of the promises of David, that, that he is the rightful adopted son of Joseph, that, that he is the expected one according to prophecy in chapters 1 and 2, that, that he is the coming Messiah who will save the people from their sin. And then we see that the Father attests to the fact that he's the Messiah. And John the Baptist does, and the Holy Spirit does. And now Satan negatively is saying, if you're the Son of God and Jesus responds properly to every single temptation as, as, he, as he repels the devil, he is being demonstrated as being morally pure and perfect and, and the right to reign. You know, have you, ever, have you ever suffered after an election? You're like, this guy should be president or senator or mayor because the other guy is not qualified. And you're like, your candidate is the, the right guy. He should win. And the other guy wins. And you're like, ugh! I gotta respect him and pray for him. He's got no right to reign. But Jesus, in this setting, as we come to verse 11, Matthew is closing off this introductory session to the gospel and he's saying, Here is your Messiah. Morally perfect, morally pure obedient to God in everything. He is the human being par excellence. He is the man for the job. And our souls ought to respond, yes. Imagine the angels coming. I love Matthew Henry. It's, it's the, way, the way that he writes this, it's almost like the angels are showing up with, with baskets full of food and flasks of water. Like they're, they're like flying in, you know, like, like as if they were military helicopters landing as the devil departs. And they're like, hey, hey, we're here. We've come from the Father here. Eat, drink. You know, like they're, they're showing up to minister to him. I don't think it was quite like that. But I think as the angels come to minister and encourage him, we can take our cue from the book of Revelation at what they might have said. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you're going to be slain, and your blood, by your blood, you will ransom a people for God and from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you'll make them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they're going to reign on the earth. They just they surround him in absolute awe. You are perfect. Be encouraged. You are on the path. You are on the right road. You are, you are going to save the people that you came to save. Your father is pleased with you. All of heaven is applauded. What would they have said to the, to the prince in flesh? But they encourage him and minister to him and sustain him after this great temptation. The, the ring of combat is empty. The victor stands there. The enemy has departed uh, and he has prevailed. Jesus has won. This one who is to be our substitute is in fact a perfect substitute. Like us, he's tempted, but he repels each and every temptation and he survives for our sake. Because he's morally pure, he is able to take all of our sins upon himself. 
and to stand in our place and to go to the cross after having been condemned wrongly. He can, he can take our sins because he's never done anything wrong. He doesn't deserve to die. He's not violated the will of the state or any of the commandments of God. And so he goes to that cross and he's going to receive punishment, not for himself, but for us. Isn't that what Isaiah 53 says? He was pierced for our transgressions. By his stripes, we are healed. We receive all the blessing and benefit, and he takes all the punishment. And we know that he'll be saved. And I believe the angels celebrate this. As we close down the temptation, I want to focus on the road that Jesus takes. We are taught in our culture that the best thing that we can do, right, is to get a good job and to save and to plan and to raise good kids and marry the perfect spouse and to get the perfect job and to plan everything out. And we're tempted to have power, right? And there are good things, there are scriptures which encourage this, but, but let us not forget that the road that we're so often pointed on by the world, the road of Upward mobility is the opposite road than what Jesus took, right? What was the the temptations? What were the temptations that Jesus was presented with? Come on, you've got this power. Use it and be relevant to yourself. Feed yourself. Jesus says, no, I won't do what you say. Come on, you're going to be Messiah. Jump off the top of the temple and let the angels save you. And, and, and you'll, you'll be the star and everyone will know who you are. And Jesus says, no. Take hold of power and rule and reign. And Jesus says, no. Why? Because his direction is the human direction. The road that Jesus walks is downward. It's the road of humility. It's the road of dependence upon God. Each of Jesus' three temptations related to what was coming in his future. The first to him personally. The second to the nation of the Jews. The third to all nations. The twin themes of Jesus' life. One is emphasized in these temptations and one is neglected. In, in the temptations, Jesus is tempted to embrace the theme of power and glory and royalty and kingship, and he is encouraged to lay aside and ignore suffering and dependence and obedience and humility. These are to remain combined and in tension as he lives his whole life. He's tempted to be relevant and impressive and powerful. In the first temptation, think about it, Jesus doesn't deny that he's hungry and able to make bread. He just knows that he is supposed to be here in this situation by the will of God. In the second temptation, he doesn't deny that he's the son of God and under special protection, but he's not going to put God to the test. In the third temptation, he doesn't deny that the kingdom or dominion or all power and authority will be given to him. Think about what he says when he is raised from the dead and he appears to commission his disciples. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He knows it will come to him, but he rejects the way by which it is being presented to him. Because he must walk the road of the cross. 
and not the road of the easy way. Not the road that he's being tempted to. He is put on a path of a ministry of dependence, one that is not free from suffering. And we as believers must reject the way of the world because Matthew doesn't just present these temptations to us as a a case study of, oh, this once happened to Jesus. He presents it in this way to us. You will be tempted in these ways too. And you must reject it and embrace the way of God. Listen to Paul's message, Acts 14, verse 21. When they had preached the gospel, this is Paul and Barnabas, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. These are all cities, remember, where they had been rejected and they'd been uh, hit with stones and thrown out of the city. They were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, We must enter the kingdom of God. The life of the Christian is a life of dependence and humility. Listen to the message of Paul to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 1.8. He says, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. This is Asia Minor, what we would know as as probably Turkey nowadays. Some people think that Paul might have gotten malaria um, and that he was utterly miserable and sick. He says, We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Think about this. What is Paul saying? Don't don't read that in Bible language. Read it in human language. We wanted to die. This is the Apostle Paul who had seen the risen Christ, who was was planting the church and expanding the borders of of God's kingdom by God's will. Indeed, he says in verse 9, we felt that we had received the sentence of death as if God had said, this is when you die. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. In order to depend on God who raises the dead, in order to experience resurrection, you've got to be dead, right? All is lost, Paul is saying. And then God can make his entrance. Verse 10, he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. What is the the message and the ministry of the Christian life? Is it to compose sermons and blog posts or is it it to arm you so that you can go out in the world with with some teaching so that when one of your friends gets into a jam, you can say, I remember a sermon that I heard once. Here's seven helpful tips for getting out of a jam. Here, try this. Is that the message of the gospel? Or is it hope in God? Depend. Trust. But surely we can do something, right? When someone's suffering, we can organize a collection, right? We can can have a clothing drive. We can do something for them. This is not to mock practical ministry efforts. But listen to what Paul says next. You must also help us. That's what we want to do. We want to help you, Paul. We want to help you. Here, here's my, here's my advice. Here's seven ways to get out of the jam. Are you in the valley of the shadow of death? Here's some, here's some positive thinking, Paul. I'm sending you thoughts. And... Wait, what is, it, what is he going to say? Not send me your thoughts. He says this, you also must help us by prayer. 
so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. What Paul is saying here is is we were desperate and we depended and God delivered us. And what you must do is you must pray that God would deliver us and that we would depend and that we would hope and that our faith would not fail. What is praying? Prayer is, isn't it not, is is it, how do I, that's too many negatives. Isn't prayer saying, God, I can do nothing to affect this situation Do something. Work. Bring grace. Reveal the gospel to this person. Help this person to trust in you. Help them to be dependent as they wait for an organ to come on a transplant list. Give them patience as they deal with this difficult child. Help them as they they deal with this this difficult and troubled marriage. Lord, help that they would not walk away from this business situation or, or pray that they would persevere. Isn't it asking and seeking and knocking that God would do something. But listen, this is the gracious and encouraging and hopeful thing. This is a, a hidden lesson of Christmas. When we, when we come to the manger and we peer over and we see the message of Christmas, do you know what we discover? That Jesus is God in the flesh, teaching us how we're to live as human beings by living as a human being. He has walked the road that he calls us to walk before us. And he has lived a life of dependence. He survived his temptations not by by receiving some special infusion of grace from God, but by trusting in the resources that God has given each and every one of us. The power of the Spirit and the Word of God. Listen to what Jesus does with his absolute knowledge of who he is. John 13, 1, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Keep that. That's not an aside. That's not, that's not, that's not something that's missing or, or like extra to the story. That is the story. Jesus, he, he, he knows that he's going. He knows that he's going to the cross. He knows that Judas is going to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. He took the towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Judas was in that crowd. And he was going to die for the sins of the world. And he did not declare his independence from from serving, but he said, this is God's will. I will continue to walk in dependence and I will wash the feet of my enemy and I will serve this man who's going to fail me. Because the will of God is that I would be humble and dependent. We never lose our, we never lose our need to depend on God. The Christian life is unraveling ourselves from all of our temptations and all the traps to be relevant and to be impressive and to have power of our own in and of ourselves. Over and over, we're to say, like the song that we sing, God, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. 
That, that song by design is, you're my one defense. That's it. I've got one weapon in my arsenal, and that's God. Yeah, maybe it's two weapons, the Spirit of God, but that's God, and the Word of God, but it comes from God. I think in this there might be a temptation to think that we cannot be beautiful or pleasing to God and that it's all just God's work. But let me, let me say this. The Christian can be beautiful and pleasing to God. And let me say this. I know, I know many of you well. And I see you in your sufferings and I pray for you and I ask you how I can pray for you and you tell me how you're depending or what you need God to do or how you need him to come through for you or how you, you're struggling or how you're, you're, you're troubled in your faith. And that declaration of dependence is beautiful. But it's not a beauty that's a beauty of yourself primarily. Does that make sense? The... The moon is not the sun. But the moon is beautiful. But if you know anything about astronomy, you know that the moon is nothing without the sun. And so to see a Christian who is, is, is struggling, who is, who is tempted, who is needing to be dependent, who needs to trust the Lord, and who's, who's facing a situation that, that they need to to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might is not to witness a Christian who's in the midst of failure. It's to witness a Christian who's in the middle of being a Christian. Does that make sense? To see, to see the opportunity for God to work and to see his power and his grace and his strength shining through in the midst of their dependence. How does that song continue? Where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in me. The writer goes on to say, when temptation comes my way, when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Right? And I've never heard anyone when we sing that song say, that's unacceptable. They should have their life together. They should have it all. No, we're all just like, yeah, we're singing. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Do you know what a stay is, right? If you've, if you've got a, a, a wire or a cable or a rope, right, you've got that knot tied at the end of it. You know, if you're, that's, that's the thing that if you're climbing a rope and you suddenly start to slide down, there's a knot at the end of the rope and your feet hit that and you stop falling. That's Jesus for us. We're hanging on to him, depending, holding on. He's our only hope. He's our source of righteousness. He's our defense. People sometimes say in the midst of crisis, I guess I'm not a good Christian. I guess I don't have enough faith. I guess if I had been more obedient or if I had known more, my life would be better. And I love to say no. No. Being a Christian is being dependent. And right now you realize it fully and you are fighting the way that you ought to fight keep fighting being strong in the lord and in the strength of his might means that we need to be weak in and of ourselves i'm not strong enough to fight this enemy i need the resources which come only from god i need to finish but i want to just talk about the fact that the lord leaves us with mechanisms designed to build our dependence think about it the Lord has left us with the church. 
the church. What is the life of the church? It's pulling away from busy schedules, slowing down, living life together, taking time to work through the year together, celebrating the Lord's Supper, that we're dependent on receiving from Jesus what we need, celebrating baptism, praying for one another, being reminded of what it is that God has done for us, the truth of the gospel. We've been given the discipline of the book. What do we do here? Do you listen to my assembled thoughts on psychology? You know, when, 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 when John Render or John Gore or someone else preaches, you know what the standard, I love this, the standard by which we judge the sermon is he preached a good message from this passage. Because we are a people of the book. We want to hear God's word. In Genesis 1, God spoke and there was light. In John 1, we hear that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. God was a word. And God spoke that word into flesh and he came into the world and we saw his glory is what the the, the scriptures say, speaking of Jesus. And then in Hebrews 4.12, we know that All of God's words are powerful and that the word of God that we've been left with is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so what we say is, I need to know God's word and when temptation comes, I will say, it is written. I've been given the church got these other people around me to help me because I'm not perfect and I'm, I'm not sufficient in myself. I've got God's word because if it's just my thinking and my way, then I will go astray. And then finally, we have the discipline of the heart, which is acknowledging in our innermost self that what we really need is for God to work. And so we pray and we ask God to work. We declare our dependence. God, help my kids to be faithful. God, help my wife to face this difficult situation and to fend off this attack. Lord, I am in this situation and I just want to be angry. Would you please help me to walk the path of humility and to show grace? God, there's there's so many ways that we could go in this other situation. Could you please show me what your will is? Because if if I'm left to my own devices, I'll, I'll choose big and impressive and powerful and that might be wrong or it might be right. I don't, I don't know. Lead me, guide me. And we depend. We come to the manger at Christmas and we look into it to discover the gift of God, what we have been given. You know what we see? We see our Savior taking on flesh, walking the path that we are to walk, teaching us how we are to be. Jesus shows us how. I'm going to close with Hebrews 13, 12. Uh, band, you guys can come. I'm going to pray. Um, I, want to, I want to make sure that we, um, we finish up. Hebrews 13, 12 says this, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. We are walking the road that Jesus walked. If we are following Jesus, we're walking in his way and going to him. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you triumphed over temptation in your way according to the will of the Father by relying on 
the resources that have been given to you by God. May we as a church confess that we have no righteousness of our own, that we are completely dependent on you, and that unless you work, we have nothing. May we fight in faith, being strong in the Lord and in the strength of your might, acknowledging our own weakness and dependence. And may we view each other in the church as fellow strugglers, fellow weaklings, fellow Christians who are wholly dependent on you. And may we depend in the way that you call us to. Father, I pray if there's anyone here who's not put their faith and trust in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, I pray that they would begin that trust today and that they would cry out to you from their whole heart that they need you to rescue them. We pray that we would walk in victory together, Lord, and that we would help each other bear our burdens. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. Mm -hmm.